0: Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. I had, before I started the podcast, I got a few friends who do podcasts and I reached out to all of them and I was like, listen, if you ever need a podcast guest, let me know, because I've got this woman that I've been coaching and she's amazing. And you've got to hear her story and da da da, da, da. And um, And then finally I was like, I'm starting my own podcast. And so I was really right. excited to get started because I've got you. And I was like, man, I want Monica's story to be told. So anyways, thank you for being here. I do appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So let's just start basic with introductions. Um, for everybody that doesn't know you the way that I do, um, just tell us whatever you feel is pertinent. But just give us a brief little introduction to who is Monica Gary.
1: Right. So when you say that, I can't help but laugh because you know me really well. It was so wonderful <laughs> spending all that time together um, when you were here. And coaching me and how God put that together was just amazing. Um, and I mean, that's a, a story for another time, but just what he has done in this relationship has just been such a blessing. Um, and we met because long story short, I had reached out to Freddie, uh, who you just had on the podcast as well. Thank and you. said, Hey, can you pray for me? We're getting ready to plant a church. And he said, Oh, I'm involved in V3, which is where I was applying for the cohort. And he said, um, there's this lady I want you to meet. She's in your area and she's one of my pastors. And I think you guys would get along great essentially. And so we met and you agreed to help me, which was a huge blessing and just God's timing, which was so cool. So that's one of the things, um, that I'm planting a church down in Stafford, Virginia. And when we moved here about five years ago, I wanted to, God had given me the vision more, more the inspiration at that point, not like the vision of like how and what steps am I taking next. Um, and that can get funny too, because sometimes it gives you the long game and then you're like, well, what's the next thing? You know, so you helped me get through what's the next thing, which is really cool. Um, and I'm still learning and growing in that. Um, so I'm planting a church. I'm a pastor of New Wine Community Church. I also have my blog, uh, which is pretty easy to remember. It's just Monica Gary Senior, which is sr.com. Um, and I have a newsletter that goes out from there. There's the blog. There's a few other things that I do. Um, I'm speaking more regularly now, sharing my story. I'm actually going tonight to Fredericksburg, um, partnering with uh, some people at the um, Center for Faith and Leadership at Mary Washington. And also, so Gannon and Carrie Sims down there. Good, and, yes. Yes, I'm so excited. I share my story there. Um, with probably some of their, you know, college students who show up and whoever else locally is going to be able to come. Um, Central Virginia Justice Initiative is, has organized that. They're doing a whole um, slew of things for January since it's Trafficking Awareness Month. So I get to share about my story and where I've come from um, and working in the strip clubs and the abusive relationship I was in and It's going to be really cool. I'm super excited. And I never thought I would say anything like that. Like if I looked back then and where I was, oh yeah, someday I'm going to tell everyone about what? (laughs) Like I never would have thought it. And it's just what God has done in my life. I'm not only able to talk about it, but there's been healing and continues to be healing. And I'm grateful. I'm just so grateful to steward the story that, you know, what God Allowed me to go through. I was in a bit of rebellion, but he brought me through. He was there with me the whole way, and it's just so cool to share that with people.
0: That's awesome. And so, a couple of things, and we, we will move on, but a couple of things that you said just in your introduction, I wanted to uh, go back and pinpoint just a little bit. One of the things is you said that your website people can find you at Yeah.
1: Tell us why you're Monica Gary Sr. Okay, <laughs> so we have a ton of kids. Uh, I joke that we ran out of names cause we have six kids all together and then my niece lives with us. So that's seven. So when we had my, basically when I got pregnant with my first daughter, so my husband and I had our sons and then we came together. It's kind of Brady Bunch style. And then we had our three girls. We had our first got pregnant with our first daughter and he suggested, why don't we name her Monica junior? And I thought, that's weird. You know, it didn't really like click with me. And then some years went by and I mentioned it to a friend. She goes, Oh, well I'm a junior. I said, oh really, I never met any other woman like that. And it started started to grow on me. And so by this time we got to Monica, I joke that we ran out of names because we have so many kids. So we have Monica Junior, which is our, our youngest, and she's five now. She's turned five in October. And she is just like me. <laughs> I, it's incredible. So that's what you get for naming your kid after yourself. You're like, oh, I act like that. And you get to see it playing out. Um, but it's really cool too because I see some raw, beautiful things in her that God has put in her that I get to help cultivate in a healthy way that I didn't see happen in my life until much, much later. So, um, that's really awesome too.
0: That's awesome. I love that you're Monica senior and that she's Monica junior. I do. I've never met another woman who had named her daughter after her. So I just, when we first met I was like, Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That's so hardcore. I feel like I want you to do or something. I want to be able to call you Dr. Monica
1: Gary senior. I'm planning on it at some point, I'm done with all of these other 500 things I'm doing. I love learning. I love going to school. I love reading. Um, my kids will see me on my phone and I'm like, listen, pay attention. I'm not playing. I don't play games. I'm like reading articles and I'm researching things. Like I'm always reading something mostly on my phone
0: awesome. Dr. Monica Gary, Sr. I love it. That's, that's intense. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is that you're going over with, um, Carrie and Gannon tonight to talk with them specifically because of the event that's being put on for trafficking awareness month. And I don't want to blow past that for those who are listening, who may just not have an awareness yet of what exactly Mm -hmm. that means and what that's all about. Can you tell us a little bit more about trafficking awareness month?
1: Sure. Um, so the month of January is Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, there's still a lot of education that needs to happen, which is why we do the awareness events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful every time I get to share my story, it provides these, this insight into the nuances of how a person can end up in a trafficking situation. Because it's easy to think, one, it's not only women, It happens to men too. It's not only the sex industry. It's the work industry. There are many different things that people would um, essentially enslave. Mostly it's manipulation um, psychologically. Sometimes it's actual physical enslavement. Usually it's a combination of both. Further you get into it, um, depending on the person's situation. But all in all, um, what I get to do when I go and speak is share some insight into how it happened in my life. Um, And so I have... whole presentation I'm going to go through that talks about an identity, because that is really the solution to the brokenness in this world is our identity in Christ, right? So when we know who we are in Christ, um, I'm not as susceptible to what I went through if I knew who I was, right? And so I talk about that, how I was raised, how the world told me who I was, how my parents informed who I thought I was, um, who I thought I was as a result of those things, what it could have been if um, who Christ, how Christ sees me, if that was reinforced in my life by my parents, that could have combated what the world was telling me. And I want to share that. I want to share that with people because I know there are still um young people, older people, it doesn't matter how old you are, we still struggle with our identity. I mean, more now than ever, there are just identity crises all throughout everything, not just in our nation, but all through the world. And so when we find our identity in Christ um, the trafficking almost fixes itself. If I'm, if I know I'm a child of God and I'm loved and I'm valued and I'm cared for, I'm not going to cling to a man who says he's going to protect me and then hurts me. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, no, you're not Christ-like. I can see that because I've gotten that wisdom from the Lord and I can, move along
0: right so and I think too one of the other the more people that I meet who are just kind of at the beginning of their journey of understanding the trafficking industry um, one of the misconceptions that I hear and obviously the work being done around the world is vitally (laughs) crucial and important but one of the misconceptions that I often hear is that oh that's a problem happening in other countries Um, you know we think the sex slave industry and how it's, it's happening everywhere else but not here and I was just talking to a friend the other day who is actually in the Uh, trafficking prevention industry who said that a study came out recently and it may be because other countries don't track it as well but a study came Mm -hmm. out recently that said that America was number one in its um, uh, number of trafficked victims.
1: Yeah I'm not surprised about that and again like that has a lot to do with how we define trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is a broad term and there's so many things that fall into that. And I would say it's actually under um, underreported in the U.S. Because so you have things like my situation where I was with someone, and during that time, I mean, it took me ten years after leaving that relationship to be able to say I was in a trafficking situation. To be able to look back and see. I didn't really, okay. I I went to work in the strip club because I was a single parent. Well, because I made bad decisions, Um, but also I was a single parent. I was trying to provide, and that looked like a solution to me because of the way that I grew up, the things I was presented with about my own identity, what was acceptable, um, this control piece and manipulation using sexuality to gain a place where I would not be hurt but I ended up hurt more and someone came in and latched on and took advantage of that before I knew it I was throwing away tens of thousands of dollars to support him even when he was in jail yeah how
0: we're just we're gonna dive in um and we'll just kind of go (laughs) no it's good how did you finally leave because that is not always easy, especially for someone coming from, you know, the background that you came from to leave what appears to be insecurity <coughs> and even in a twisted way, somebody who kind of cares about you, loves you, whatever you want to call it. How did you get out?
1: Yeah. Um, so there, that's a, there's like multifaceted pieces to that. I would say, one, I don't like to be told what to do. And I don't like to be told I can't do something. So when I, when it got really bad and he came out of jail the last time, and when I say it got really bad, um, I was held hostage for about 12 hours in my basement apartment by him. I was beat up. I'm not gonna go into details to trigger anyone, but it was very bad. Um, He broke my things, he hurt me very badly. And after that happened, I actually had run. Um, I got outside after about 12 hours and, I went to a neighbor I didn't know, and my clothes are ripped up, and it was was a bad scene. Called the police. He left. Um, I went to the magistrate's office to give my testimony, and I was writing it down. And this fear came over me of um, betraying him, Mm. and I felt bad for calling the police. There was this weird, codependent, disgusting relationship that had happened where my worth was tied to making him happy. And that was something I learned from very early on, especially with my father and the way he spoke to me and treated me. Um, so listen, if you're hearing this, like it's super important, like the way we speak to our children, it's so, so important to just affirm truth, affirm truth, even if we don't feel it, like you want to say something mean, just don't, just don't. And if you do like be humble. <laughs> you know be humble and ask for forgiveness because it matters so much mm-hmm. um so anyways I I actually ran from the magistrate's office and I ran to the closest um pay phone. there were payphones. gosh this was a long time ago <laughs> um
0: <laughs> all of our young so leaders are gonna be like
1: what <laughs> <laughs> this thing, you put a quarter right in it and you can pick it up and down <laughs> so I ran to the nearest payphone and I called him and I said I'm so sorry I'm so sorry what in the world, right? Like who does that? So you can see just that into my mind and how sick and how deluded my identity was to think that I had done something wrong. Like what in the world, right? So getting to me leaving, um, I went to work shortly after that. I had tried to quit working in the club while he was in jail, but he came home and of course was living off me still. And I just couldn't keep up with the money. He was taking my money. He wanted to use it for drugs and alcohol. Um, I was giving it willingly. Uh, I thought we're going to work this out. I love him, but this is after years and years of also me having alcohol abuse, drug abuse issues, cheating on him, him in jail, in and out, you know, being very abusive as well when he's home. Um, I was selling drugs too. I mean, just really everything's all mucked up in my head, right? In my heart. And so I want to get out, but I can't because I got a job at a um, car sales place. I never sold cars before. I was like Eastern's Automotive or something. I'm not selling any cars. Okay. This is not working. Time's running out on the money I got left over. So I did go back to the club. I went to a club in Springfield. And after this event had happened where he hurt me, I went back into work. And Man, actually, the owner um, who was managing that day called me into his office. He could see the marks around my neck from where I had been choked, and that chokes me up. Haha, in the mood. Every time I say it, so I can laugh about it now, right? Uh, But it was not funny at the time. It was, it was hard. Um, He called me into the office. He could see those marks around my neck, and um, he basically asked what happened, and I, I told him. And he looked at me with this empathy but helplessness like he wanted he cared and he wanted to be able to do something but he knew he couldn't Mm -hmm. and to see empathy even in the club owner's eyes um I hadn't been I had been dehumanized and objectified so much so that that was a tipping moment where someone looked at me like a human with concern yeah um and I had never really shared what had happened before years ago when he was out for a little bit before he went back to jail he had hit me in the face with a a small tree actually it wasn't even a tree branch it was like a log like this big and I went into work with a black eye and I'm covering it up and oh it was just an accident and you know we went out drinking and, and he didn't mean to um but I had been getting hurt for a long time and covering it up and never really talked about it so when I told him and he looked at me and he said I remembered there was just this pause and then he goes you'll go back they always do mm. and Like I said, I don't like to be told what to do or that I can't do something. (laughs) So in my mind, that was like, oh, no, I'm not going back. I am not going to be another statistic. As much as I already was, I started to see, you know, the brokenness of my situation. And it wasn't long after that that I actually met Peter, my husband. Mm -hmm. Now that we've been married, you know, 11 years coming up in February, And Peter was a very good friend to me. He knew something was wrong. So, um, later on he informed me, he saw me leave, uh, the club. He knew where I worked. I actually met him there, which is a whole nother story. God has redeemed so much in my life, in our lives. Um, so he saw me leave and he, and get into the van, um, that Jay was driving. That's my ex. And it was actually my van, but I didn't have my license. He eventually stole that and just took it and left, um, So he saw, Peter saw me leaving. He said, I knew something was wrong. Like your whole demeanor changed as soon as you saw him and you left with him, like something was just very broken and wrong. And Peter was a friend, a very, very good friend. He knew something was wrong. He was there for me and he made himself available. Basically on call, I started getting death threats. Um, I moved my stuff out of that basement apartment. Peter came and helped me move all of my stuff. Um, my ex who I was still with at the time, but trying to get out of that relationship. Um, he just like sat in the corner and drank a 40 and was like singing to some horrible rap song or something. And Peter like moved my piano by himself. I was like, all right, dude, you're not really doing a good job of keeping me right now watching, you know, how this is going down. Obviously Peter was interested in me as well at that point. Um, but he, he really helped me just get my physical stuff out of there. Um, you hear about this, um, company now where men will go and help move women out of abusive homes for free that is so important like I cannot emphasize how important that is um because I had that and then I was able to just put my ex's stuff in a bag on the porch in my new place and I had gone to the shooting range with Peter and I had this silhouette with this well-in group of shots and I put it on the door <laughs> I said I'm done So, you know, there's the sign, like, get out of here, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when he started, like, really threatening me, like, I'm outside with a gun. And I'm calling Peter on the phone, like, hey, this is what's going on. He's like, I will come over there. And he was there for me. And that's how I was able to get out. Because there was someone who stepped in willing to defend me, someone who respected me, someone who stepped in willing to defend me and be there um, for those emergencies. And he would have put his life on the line if necessary. I believe that. And I mean, that's why we're married, because he he loves me and he shows it very well. Um, So, yeah, that's actually how I got out, was Peter was kind of my knight in shining armor. So,
0: so then so now that people have kind of heard your story and the background and you know where where you come from and what life has looked like for you and of course you started off by telling us what you're doing now you're planting a church lead pastor right so tell me what it is that you feel like you bring to the leadership table
1: just that story of redemption um that I'm willing to tell the whole thing. I've I just find it is such an honor for me to to be able to steward this story. And as soon as I used to not want to share it because I would think, oh, it's so um, dramatic, and I don't want people to think I'm trying to get attention. I would be worried about what people would think, or you know, how do I share this and not not be like, oh, Monica the stripper, you know, like mm-hmm. it settled in my heart one day because the Lord was just like, this is my story yeah. that. You know, you're living your life for me. So it's my story. You're stewarding this. What are you going to do with it to glorify me? And like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, of course we want the attention because then people are looking at you, not me. I'm not over here saying, hey, you look at me and how I fixes my life. Here's 10 steps to get it right and be happy. No, it's hard. But, you know, walk with the Lord and he, he will redeem anything and everything in our lives, like nothing that I've gone through, not the situation that I've explained, not my recent, you know, trials, Um, man, it's been abundant since I started this church. I can't even tell you, it's like one after another, but none of it goes to waste. As long as I can continue to go back to his feet and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? This is hard, but I want to do what you want me to do. How do you be glorified in this? and and have to wait for the answer sometimes that's hard. <laughs> yeah.
0: How would you define redemption? What does that mean for you?
1: It means being able to not just look at what has happened that the enemy tried to use against me and to harm me and say, "Oh, that's okay. I've gotten over it." You know, I've healed. Those are good things. But to highlight where God has been throughout that, mm-hmm. you know, that he was always there, that he was already redeeming. Like I was in the middle of it and he was already redeeming. He did just pop up one day and be like, Oh, you messed up your life. Let's fix this here. You know, I'm Christ. I'm God. Follow me. Everything is good. No, no, no. He was there with me the whole time. And so redemption really just has such strong ties to that presence mm-hmm. for me that he's always been there, that he's constantly redeeming, that there is nothing that is unforgivable. I, I just don't see that. I mean, I've, you have that one verse where it talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I've had those, that's a whole like nuanced other theological conversation. Right. But as far as the things that we're doing in this life that we think are unforgivable, they're not. Yeah, they're not. You know Christ's blood covers that. And it's just so precious. Like when I came to full realization of the gravity of my sin. No, because I've been through some stuff. We've had some things happen to me, but Monica didn't just wake up one day and get dragged into, you know, clobbered over the head and dragged into the strip club. I chose to go there. I was already manipulating people. I was already running after my will instead of the Lord, right? And his will for me. And so there are things that I have done as well. I mean, I was dealing drugs. I stole from people. I, I did some horrible things, right? But God redeems not just, um, Forgiving my sin, but also cleansing that stain of sin that other people have left on me as well.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And so how does that, how does just the redemption that you've experienced and the idea of redemption, how does that flow into your leadership today? How has that experience really redefined what leadership looks like for
1: you and how you are leading this church? Um, I think... The most visible way would be that it really informs the type of ministry that we do. Mm -hmm. This upcoming Tuesday, we will be partnering with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I believe I said that correctly. Um, The Fredericksburg chapter. And we're going to be holding a mini training in Stafford here at a coffee shop um, to just get people educated and learn how to be there for their friends and family co-workers, neighbors, whoever that are struggling with suicidal ideation or have attempted suicide and still struggle with depression or just struggling with depression. And I sent out those invites, just a side story here. I sent out some invites to some friends and one of my friends contacts me and says, you know, it's really funny you sent that to me because my sister just attempted suicide and she's 10 years old. Mm. And I thought, one, God is so good because he knows what we need. You know, that it was on my heart to say, send that to her, because I didn't send it to everyone. It was just certain people I thought you know that were on my heart, or I thought maybe they are in contact with people that might experience some of these things, depending on lifestyles and things like that. And yeah, you know, God is so good, but also this world is so dark, but God is so good, right? So I want to walk in that part. Um, and so it influences where we do ministry. Um, I'm working on a um, prayer book. And journal for the women in the strip clubs right now. So it's almost written. Um, I've had some amazing, generous friends who have given it, making sure that we can front load some copies on that to take into the clubs. And the Lord literally gave a woman on her, um, course team for church, a dream that this is what she's supposed to do to go out and do this with me. She calls me the next day or she sent me a message the next day. And she goes, oh, my husband's upset with me because, you know, I had this dream and I didn't understand what she was saying. I'm like, oh, it was a dream. She said, I had a dream. I was in the club working or something. And I thought she meant like working. And I was like, one, that's weird, but two, it's a dream. So why would he be upset? She goes, no, 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 Then I'm supposed to go do the ministry with you. And I was like, oh, so he doesn't know what to expect. So obviously we have to pray through this and take some time, but God gave her that vision you know, that this is where she's supposed to, and I know that she would do an amazing job. So right now we're just sort of trying to form a team for that. There's another lady who is a wonderful friend of mine who's interested in helping. Obviously you need strong, mature believers for something like that. Right. Um, but I'm very excited. so that's how it informs, um, the ministry that we do in the church. So it's um, ministry to women in strip clubs, people who are dealing with, um, suicide, mm-hmm. um, in their lives. And there is another thing. We started writing letters to people who are on death row. Mm-hmm. Um, not, Hey, what's your story? You know, picking details, whatever, just, okay, they're people, and the Lord loves them, and part of our call as Christians is to minister to people who are incarcerated, like, that is an actual call (laughs) in the Bible um, that we don't answer very often, sometimes you get pockets where people will do these ministries and movements, but we're not going to go in the jails, we can write a letter, you know, Mm -hmm. so just having that heart for the broken, knowing how broken I was, Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it really informs everything that we do. Yeah,
0: I love what you said about how it informs what you do and where you go and who you minister to. And you talk about, you know, working with addicts and working with those who are incarcerated (laughs) and working in the strip clubs and things like that. And I think what's so beautiful and encouraging about that is that it's the, the most difficult and darkest parts of your story that God is actually using to do something incredible with. And that's, I mean, you talk about redemption, that's the picture of redemption right there is taking those parts of your experience and turning it into, this is how you're going to advance my kingdom. And I think what's probably really encouraging about that for some of our listeners is I know that, you know, you and I can't be the only ones who have had that moment where we thought, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. What on earth has God called me to? It's probably not going to be much because of X, Y, and Z, because of my background, because of where I've been, because of what I've done, because of what I've experienced. Uh, But looking at your story, we are showing the exact opposite, that it's through those things that God is moving and working. And so to the person listening who's hearing, Oh my gosh, you know, you're serving these people and you're ministering to those who are often overlooked and ignored and silenced. And you're doing it out of the overflow of your own experience in those places to the person that's listening, who prior to this moment has said, I'm, I'm not qualified. My life has been too messed up. It's been too broken for God to do anything with. What would you say to them? If you could just look them in the eyes right now, what would you say to them?
1: We are all unqualified. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. Like we're sinners so we're all unqualified. I don't know why God has chosen me and continually prompted me to do this work other than he loves me and he wants me to be able to see how deep his grace is. Mm-hmm. That's it. And to pour that into the world, like I'm a vessel. So we are all unqualified. Mm-hmm. Um, Discerning a call is a very different thing, but as far as qualification, um, I want to just give you this short story about what happened as far as planting the church, because I obviously felt very unqualified to do that, but not always. I used to think okay, you know, I'm a strong leader, like I'm very high capacity. I can do 500 different things. I usually do. We you and I have taken time inventories where I'm like, Oh, I'm doing way too much. I need to cut <laughs> like a whole bunch of that out. Yeah. By the way, I have stuck with the grocery delivery that has saved me, I think at least seven hours out of my week every week. Now they deliver like, I don't even do the pickup anymore. Walmart delivers. I'm like, yes, Lord. You <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. So you My life, right? Everyone needs a coach. Call Sion. She will help you. I promise. She's amazing. So, anyways, seriously, okay? I'm I'm being funny about it, but for real. So, I filled it with other things, of course. So, I need to, you know, pay attention to that. Anyway, high capacity leader. I could go out. I'm very entrepreneurial. I could start a whole big thing and a whole big movement. And it really dawned on me one day. God kind of downloaded it to me. I was working out with my husband and thinking about, um, you know, I've started to step out and plant this church and start the cohort, um, <clears throat> the learning cohort that I'm doing with V3. And um, he had come back from Afghanistan and, and we're talking and i was just like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought I could, but if I really step back and look at it, like, yeah, I could do all the things, I can make a big, big movement, but it would be a movement of Monica. Yeah. It would not be a movement of God. Mm-hmm. I know how to make things happen. I know how to get things done. I would say the people who probably struggle the most are the mo- the ones who feel like they are qualified. Yeah. Because I, I struggled hard and I would, I would try and still, sometimes something will creep in and be like, oh, you should do this. And God's like, no, 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 <laughs> not time yet. Or not that, not that way. I have a different way. I have a better way. So just staying close to him and listening gives me a lot of confidence in him, not confidence in self. I do not want confidence in myself. It doesn't go very well, you know, and that may sound like I'm talking down on myself, but I know I'm capable, but to say, God, you've created me powerful and capable and amazing, but I'm still submitted to you. You still have a better plan. That's a beautiful thing. And that's like a proper relationship for going into any ministry. So I realized I'm unqualified because it's God's church. I could build this thing, but I would build Monica's church, not God's church. So if there's a move of God, if we're talking about a calling and a move of God that is happening in our lives that we want to participate in, right, that he's calling us to do, uh, we're joining with him in ministry. It's not that we're going out and just doing a thing on our own. We're vessels. We join with him and we allow him to flow through us. So we might remain you know, relatively unqualified and doing new things we're not experienced in, or we don't feel comfortable with He's growing our faith in that he is qualified. Yeah. Right. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how to get it done his way that will, Oh man, will impact people so widespread, just revealing himself, which is really the goal of all of this is that we come to know Christ. Um, So I say, let him do it his way. And if you feel unqualified, that's okay. Cause, cause we are right. Yep. That's so good. So for somebody
0: who's listening, who's feeling, wow. Okay. Actually, you know, not only inspired and, and motivated, but but really called cause you said something about discerning a call is different. Is that something that
1: you maybe want to talk about just a little bit? Sure. Um, I will give a quick story on when I was, when I knew I was called into ministry mm-hmm. to actually to pastor um, and it was a long time ago. I mean it's almost let's say like eight, nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't ask for it. I just had this desire. Um, so I had completed this I was completing this fast. I started fasting for my marriage. Uh so yeah, about nine years ago, because Peter and I will be married for eleven years in February. I carried all my junk from my last relationship, my childhood, and dah, 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 into that marriage. It was not resolved. It was not dealt with. I just thought, oh, he's great, and we love each other, and here we go, like so many of us, right? Um, and he carried his, too. And so two years into the relationship, divorce was getting thrown around the word, you know, every other day, daily, we were arguing, things were not going well, all those Things you hide during dating, not consciously, but they start to come out. You know, around year two, I think. Um, so we're struggling, and I knew um, we weren't going to make it. And, and I believe that to this day that we were not going to make it, except for a move of God. And I had to submit myself to Him. I started praying for my marriage. I remember the the power of fasting and prayer from when I had been in this church uh, for a short period of time as a teenager, and I had fasted and prayed. And this woman this is so cool how this happens. So this woman, she prayed for me. We had like hardcore fast and prayer. This is like Southern black Baptist type church, tiny church, very familial. Um, We water fasted for the week. We had unleavened, you know, crackers, matzo, whatever. And it was uh, for Passover. And then at the end of this uh, revival, we did revival. We stayed up till like two in the morning. Like (laughs) Often. It was so cool. I miss those days. It was like a mini Azusa street. You know, it was cool. And so, um, at the end of this, this lady, she lays hands on me she prays for me. She tells me I'm going to be a teacher. And I felt this, the Holy Spirit just fill me just all over. It was amazing. The most incredible thing. And I remember falling back in my chair and just felt like this peaceful, I feel it right now while I'm talking to you. That's so cool. So just, you know what I'm talking about when you're in the spirit, I this feel that this is a cool moment. Um, and so had that just come over me and she tells me I'm gonna be a teacher and see on I'm in high school. I don't know what that means. I'm thinking job path. I'm like, okay, maybe you know, trying to figure it out afterwards, maybe I'll be a math teacher. I like math. You know, I'll be a high school math teacher. I don't know it has anything to do with the church and the fivefold ministry. <laughs> you know, nobody told me this. So <clears throat> full circle, two years into my marriage, I'm praying and fasting for my marriage and I realize I don't really I said the prayer at one point and I know that I am covered and saved, but I don't know that I have faith in Jesus. Like I really wanted to like full on faith, undeniable. He is God. He is my savior. I will do anything for him. Like complete abandon. And I had to confront that. And that that was what was wrong with my marriage. And that was what was wrong with what was going on inside of me to make my marriage have problems, at least on my side. Right. And so grappling with this, I couldn't figure it out. I'm reading through, you know, I was just I had five different versions of the Bible. I'm exaggerating, it was three, but still. And concordances laid out across this table and I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm reading and I'm like, where's the answer? How Jesus, are you God? Like, I don't I don't get it. It's not connecting in my mind. I'm smart, so I have to battle that, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually I just had to pray and I cried and I just called out and I'm like, Lord. I just need you to give me faith. Give me faith like Thomas got where Jesus stood in front of him. And I didn't know that Thomas was called Doubting Thomas at the time. So I was, it wasn't like brought up in the church. So funny. So I had read that story and I prayed and I said, Lord, just give me faith like that. Because when he said, I don't believe it's you. And Jesus said, here, put your finger in my hands and my side. Scripture doesn't say that he actually touched him. He just said his, Thomas's response was my Lord, my God, just this revelation, just this unveiling. And I wanted that. I said, I know you're probably not going to stand in front of me. Like I want and be like, I'm Jesus. Here's my hands. Here's my side, but let me have that faith. And I got it instantly, instantly. It was a miracle. I was just like, okay, what do I do after praying that bold prayer? Right. I'm crying. I'm like, Lord, help me. I can't do it. Just give me faith and begging. And, um, I went back to my Bible. I said, God's been faithful through everything I've been through because I got through it. I'm not dead or worse. And there is worse. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back and I said, how can I be faithful? I'll just read his word. Right. Yeah. So I go back and it's real to me and everything Jesus says, it's real and it's true. And it's been the same ever since. So right after that happened, I had this overwhelming sense to teach mm-hmm. <laughs> and to share this right? Because how do you keep that to yourself? Like, God just did a miracle. He blew my mind. I couldn't get this. And then boom, you know? So I prayed about it. And then I talked to my pastor at the time. And he actually was disciplining me for something else because I was very argumentative because I was a new, you know, strong believer. (laughs) And you know how we get, we think we know everything because we found Jesus, right? And so, uh, I wasn't being kind about something I was bickering with someone about. And so he corrected me on that. And then he said, you know, you become a pastor. You should go to school. That's when I started going to Leland in Arlington. Yeah, And it was he didn't know I said that prayer. It was just such an answer to prayer because I begged God. I said, what do I do with this? I'm, I'm nobody in the church. I go to church. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. But the frustrating part was waiting. It's been almost 10 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. I've been waiting almost a decade and still trying to get this church off the ground and just waiting and praying for God to send the right people and the right timing. Um, So when you're discerning a call, you will know when he wants you to know, and you will not be able to do anything else. It will be very clear, right? Yeah. Um, But it takes time. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've learned, go at his pace. Mm -hmm. Because my pace is a lot quicker and it tends to, um, to mess things up when I go at my own pace. And, and the goal of that is developing relationship too. when God wants to send us, yeah. he wants us to abide for a while, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that because we need to be strengthened in him for that thing he's sending us to do. Mm-hmm. No one, my husband got deployed to Afghanistan. They didn't just send him to Afghanistan, even as a civilian, he had to go to training first, Right. right? We have to go through some things to be able to do the thing that we're called to do. Yeah, that's good. And you said a big long story for a short question. I hope not at all. No, not at all. It
0: was it was perfect. And you actually and it makes me think of something you talked about going through training and being patient in the abiding seasons. Because I also think the other side of that, the, the wisdom in that is that oftentimes the things that God is calling us to do that we have a passion for where all of a sudden we realize, oh my gosh, my story, my history, my background can actually be used. It can be redeemed. God has been at work and present in my journey from day one from birth. And so there's this excitement, where we just want to jump in and do it, like you mentioned, but oftentimes that preparation and that training is so necessary, especially in some of the things that you're talking about. You know, I think about going to do work with suicide prevention or with those who are struggling with addiction or those who are housing challenged or, you know, working in the clubs, that's not just something you go and do. You don't just wake up one day and say, Oh, you know what? I've really got a passion for women who are in trafficking or who are, you know, stripping, or I've got a real passion for those who are struggling with addiction. You don't just go start doing that work. You mentioned um, that you've got a couple women who want to go do this work with you and how it's going to take, you know, maturity, spiritual maturity, and time, and need to be trained, and all of that. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit, just on the practical side, um, just about, I know you can't really lay out all of the practical, you know, reasons that we need to be trained to go into some of these spaces, but if you could kind of overall, like give us the umbrella version of why it is so necessary for us to go in God's timing and to submit ourselves to training and preparation first before going into some of these spaces, not only for the benefit of the people that we're going to minister to, but for our own mm-hmm. benefit as well.
1: Sure. Um, I think the the easiest way to to put that would be if we don't go in his timing, it's not his work. Mm. God is very particular. He's good at what he does, and we need to let him do it. (laughs) And so he's very particular about um, who we're going to meet when we go. It's not just going randomly because, oh, I got to go do this, and and I'm going to, you know, Great White Hope saved the strip club, you know, like there's a specific person he wants me to meet. So there's a specific time that I need to be there when she's going to be there. And there's a specific time in her life Mm -hmm. that I need to be there when she's going to be there, Mm -hmm. you know, and to throw off any of that because of my self will, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could just not be his thing, which makes it the wrong thing. And it can become a bad thing if we get carried away with it. So if we want to do his work, we do it his way, right? So we're just partnering in what he's already doing. Something I really love is <clears throat> to think about ministry and that it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit comes before us. I need to know, I need to believe, I need to trust, I need to know, I need to walk in this, that when I go to the club, the Holy Spirit is already working in the hearts of those women who are going to receive what God is sending me to bring. mm mm-hmm. If I don't go in His timing, we might miss that. Yeah. We, we could just go right past. And it's those kairos moments. Uh, you could do a whole nother thing on that, that we talked about, where there's something that God wants to do and He has a plan. And so, listening so carefully for what to do, how to do it, when to do it, um, who to do it with, when to stop. I think it's so much easier to miss when, to, when to not do it. Yeah. Right. We get, so production driven, especially in our culture. I want to go do this. Like it's years ago now, two years, I think I really felt the Lord calling me to go back and begin doing this ministry in the club again. Cause I had been doing it when I was in Northern Virginia, Now I'm in Stafford kind of Northern, but not, you know, Burke Springfield area. So I was further away from the clubs. We had moved, there was stuff going on. It was a, a difficult time for a while, again in my marriage, but God brought us through. Mm-hmm. He does that. Um, and so when I a couple of years ago had this pull again to go back out, um, it wasn't time yet. I wanted to, I've been wanting to, but God's still putting things in place. So it just requires so much patience. Um, like anything else, like we need to be in step with him just as if we're in a, a devotional or um you know, what are the words? It depends on the person's, you know, spiritual um the way they express their, themselves, spirituality. Like you're you're soaking, some people do that. You know, when you're just really in it with the Lord. Yeah. and you can feel his presence. Like the a couple moments ago mm-hmm. when I was like, oh yeah, I feel that that we need to be in that with these very difficult ministries. Yeah. Um It has to be undeniable that it's God doing it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we won't know, sometimes we'll miss, but to stay as close as possible is really important.
0: Absolutely. And I think too, the more that we recognize that, you know, God is at work, God is doing things and and we simply get to partner with him, just like he's doing work in our lives. That's also what puts us uh when we've humbled ourselves before God, it allows us to humble ourselves before others too, and to put ourselves in the position of learner and servant. Cause like you said, it's really easy to go into some of these situations as, you know, the great great white savior uh and and not go in with a heart of humility and to not go in with a heart of service that says, Hey, you know what? You are a person, you are human, you are valuable. Uh, you have a valuable story and I am here mm-hmm. to learn from you as much as I am here to to show you how much God loves you. And I think so often we can go in thinking, here I come into this situation to make a difference and to rescue people when the reality is we're still in the process of being rescued ourselves. And so that that heart yeah. of humility that you mentioned, I think is so 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 critical.
1: Yeah, that's really good what you just said, because like, I would not take anyone into the strip club ministry, for example, that, um, thinks that you can kind of sense it. Um, so, you know, it's not like I can read people's minds, but God's given me some discernment. If you think you're better than people, you don't belong doing that. Yeah. I mean, really in any ministry, you should probably work on that for a while. If you think that you're better than people, um, cause Jesus didn't behave like that. Yeah. You know he listened and he cared and and he does still and so he does that through us now. You know he's the light of the world and as long as he's in this world and he's in this world through us and so if we want people to see that light, mm-hmm. you know then we need to abide with him and let them see that same humility. Mm-hmm. Um, short story when I went to super short this time. Um, <laughs> the first time I went out to the club <clears throat> and I was like oh, I gotta bring something with me so I picked up cookies on the way and. I went in this club and I used to work there, and they said, "Oh, you can just go in the back and talk to the girls, the dressing room, because um, they knew me." It was the the club where I had been when the manager pulled me in his office. So I said to the bartender, "I said, hey, I just want to bring these cookies for the girls and you know say hi and encourage them." And so I went to the dressing room and I pulled him out. And I was like, "Hey," I, I was real timid, right? This is my first time. I just felt called to do this, and. Um, I pulled these cookies out and I said, hey, I just wanted to, like, if you could imagine me roll like a mouse, like, I just wanted to tell you guys that um, I wanted to bring you some cookies and tell you that God loves you. Like, this isn't even my personality. I was, like, super timid. I didn't know what to do, but I just did it, right? And this girl jumps up out of her chair and she goes, I remember it, like, it was yesterday. She goes, are those Jesus cookies? I had a rough night. I could use those. And she said his name before I did. Mm. And so that's actually how the ministry got its name. I call it Jesus cookies we might use that again. Um, but because of her, she said Jesus and she wanted that. She knew there was something in Christ and nothing to do with the cookies. Yeah. She connected his name to hope and to endurance and strength and fortitude. And I got to get through this and I can't get through it without him. That was incredible. I learned something. Mm-hmm. So if you think you can't go into a strip club and learn something from somebody, like let's work on the humility. Because trust me, they're a lot closer than we think. Yeah. You know, in many of these environments.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Too many walls of judgment uh, that we put up and, you know, we have all of our different layers and we always want to look at, well, where am I in comparison to this other person? That is not at all how God looks at it. Um, And the other thing that I would say too, and maybe you can speak to this just a little bit, is the importance of... Part of the patience and the waiting sometimes and the abiding is I think because there's still parts of us that God wants to heal and work on and strengthen because it can actually be sometimes if we if we go too soon, not only are we not in God's timing, but it can be detrimental. If you're going in to minister in a particular environment because you share that experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if we haven't walked our own journey of healing yet, it can be detrimental. It can be triggering. You mentioned that word in the beginning Mm -hmm. about something being triggering. It can be triggering. Um, it can be, um, almost tempting sometimes mm-hmm. if it, if we're going into you know work with those who are struggling with addiction and we've walked through that struggle ourselves. There are certain places where it requires a season of abiding and waiting and being patient so that we can do our own healing work and healing process um, so that we're ready to actually be in those situations and to really be there and be the light of Jesus and not be tempted or triggered. Can you talk a little bit about just the importance of the healing process, um, sometimes before we go into some of these situations as leaders?
1: Yeah, um, I want to say so. My story of how I really came to fully surrender to the Lord like that was it, line in the sand. That's it. I'm serving him. I love him. I'm grateful. And so I never had those temptations, but I know that that's not everyone's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have had temptations in other ways that where I'll default back to old behavior for things like that. Um, So I could get triggered, you know, I could not even realize I'm triggered. There's this great, I did a lot of reading um, on trauma because I have complex PTSD that I've dealt with and generalized anxiety disorder, all these other things, I had panic disorder. Um, I don't struggle with any of that like I used to. Sometimes I need to like make sure there's no noise going on because I get overwhelmed with noise Mm -hmm. and I'll get irritable and angry as a result. Um, But for the most part, I don't deal with that like I used to. <clears throat> but it took a long time. I didn't realize there was a lot of stuff that was there still. So God unearths these things that we don't even realize are still there yeah. um, that need to be dealt with in his presence and in his way and his timing. Um, so for example, there was um, a study done and there are people who were in New York um, near the towers on nine eleven, mm-hmm. and they found that they could be triggered and have um, episodes, mm-hmm. um, severe episodes of PTSD, um, just from something simple, like it's a crisp fall day mm-hmm. because of the weather yeah. when it happened and when they witnessed what happened. So when trauma happens and this, I think of trauma, like, Oh, this horrible thing happened. You saw like a parent die or you've been severely abused. It's not always that. It's our scope of experience that determines whether something is traumatic or not. Mm-hmm. So, if you've never grown up in an abusive household, you have a loving, beautiful household. If your husband yells at you, that could be very traumatic for you. Yeah. Right? Um, or vice versa. Women yell too. Okay, I'm not going to play like they're the only ones, <laughs> especially in my house. <laughs> I'm going to do. But um, <clears throat> point being, when you have a traumatic event happen, um, it's sort of like an explosion that sends shrapnel in all different areas of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this isn't super ministry oriented, but it matters. So there are all these little things that you can get triggered by that you don't realize—sights, smells, sounds, any kind of thing. Um, the the pattern on a curtain that you look at when you oh my my mom passed recently and I found out how she passed. It was not true. I found out again how she passed, which was true. That was very traumatic. Um, I won't go into the details on that. But it was very difficult for me. Um, and so when I found out what actually happened, it was. Horrible to go through that. It was like I went through it twice. And the second time I was sitting in bed uh, when I got this phone call and we were talking and I found out what happened. And I was staring at the pattern uh, on my bedspread and we had just bought a new bedspread. I hate that bedspread. Yeah. Every time I look at that bedspread, I'm like, I haven't told my husband this yet. I probably should. I'm like, can we change it out for a while? I know it's brand new, but every time I look at it, I just yeah. feel sad and like, you know? So you that experience and that
0: so. memory. Yeah.
1: It ties to that. It's so bizarre the way our brains work. And it takes time for God to, uh, for us to submit and for God to help us work out those things, whatever it is. We might need counseling. We might need medication. We might need to talk a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. We might need some coaching. We're going to need a lot of pastoring. Those things take so much time. And on top of that, there is definitely spiritual warfare that comes along with doing ministry. So my, it seems like every time Even stepping out to do this podcast with you, there's a strain. There's the strain in my life that comes up. Like the enemy's like, no, no, you're not going to do that. No, we're going to stop. Well, I'm not going to stop. You know me. I'm not going to stop. But it makes it difficult, you know, and remembering to pray before I do speaking engagements, before I do podcasts, before I go out to do ministry, and constantly asking people to pray for me. Because every time I've stepped out to do ministry— it seems like my, my marriage gets attacked because my husband's the one who's closest to me. Mm-hmm. Those things are hard. Ministry is hard on a marriage. I will tell you what, I mean, you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyone who's in ministry knows that it was married. And if you're not like gear up and right. get ready because it is tough. Um, so there's a lot of different things to be aware of and to reasons to go in God's timing, you yeah. know, and, and submit yourself under someone's authority. Like don't do not go it alone. Right. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, even Jesus sent his disciples
0: out in group, you know, in pairs, in pairs of two, to do the work that he had called them to do. So, so critical about uh, spending that time with Jesus first. You know, I mean, they had an extended period of time just watching him, following him, learning from him before they were sent out to actually do the thing. And they were sent out in community. And so, so many different things that you just said, right? They're so important and so critical as uh, leaders are discerning their call. Dis- what they have a passion for, realize that God is qualifying them despite what their past may have looked like, because He is a redeemer and He's redeeming all things. And and so just so much goodness that you've shared with us today. The one last thing that I want to ask you about um, is you mentioned this prayer book that you're this prayer book and journal that you're mm-hmm. writing that you want to be able to take to the women in the clubs. Tell us a little bit more about the heart behind that, and is that a resource that is going to be um, available for other people who do similar kinds of ministry?
1: Yeah, so it's actually written specifically for women who are in the strip club, so for exotic dancers. And so the prayers, they're just short prayers that go through topics that they deal with. So you've got some normal stuff like, um, you know, praying for your children, um, Mm -hmm. praying for your friends, praying for grace, praying for forgiveness, things like that, um, that anyone might pray about. And then you've got some other heavier things like depression, like legal issues, like homelessness, um, drug addiction. There's actually a a portion in there to pray for the people who, uh, are working in the club, doing the management, you know, the staff praying for the staff, praying for the customers, girl, if I can get strippers praying for the customers and each other, you watch what God is going to do. Not me, but you know, him doing, But I'm so excited about this because of that. And what the power of Prayer. I've seen it in my life. And so when I was working in the club, this is the heart behind it. I would towards the end, and knowing that I didn't want to be there anymore, starting to realize God has something more for me, but I just wasn't able to leave yet. But I would take my Bible in my dance bag with all of my outfits and all that stuff, and I would read it in between. I wouldn't sit with the customers anymore. Normally you go sit, you know, in between and talk to people and they give you a little extra money. I just wanted to be with the Lord. I would go between dancing sets. So for 45 minutes in between, or you 50, 45 minutes, I would sit in the dressing room and read my Bible wow. because I just wanted yeah. to be with the Lord. And so I write partly in that, in a letter to the women who I'm going to be giving it to mm-hmm. um, sort of that story. And that I wish that um, someone had been able to give me something when I couldn't find the words, to yeah. pray about these certain things, um, abusive relationships, you know, all these things that um, I've gone through most of them. And I know that you know other people have dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so powerful and beautiful. So it's a prayer uh, book. So it has prayers in it and then journal as well. So there's like three pages after each prayer where they can write, you know, their own prayers. And I encourage them to do that and find their own voice and how they communicate with the Lord. Prayer is such a beautiful, expansive thing. You can dance, you can sing, you can pray, you can, you know, go prostrate and lay on the floor, whatever it is for you, like do that thing, you know, with the Lord. Um, and it is a resource that will be available for other people. So it's going to be published on Amazon uh, and you can get print versions. Um, I would encourage anyone who is interested in doing that. If they have a similar ministry or they are um, wanting to, do ministry in that area of the clubs, um, to reach out to me. You can contact me on my, um, contact page, my website, monicagarysenior.com. Um, because I have a limited number of, <clears throat> excuse me, of copies that I can get at an author price. Um, and so we don't have to you know use as much resources to do that up to a certain number. So reach out to me first, but definitely if you want to go on and, and purchase them for so many people, we don't realize are in the church. I, I met a girl from, through Instagram, she's in the church, she's going to church every Sunday, but she's tripping. Yeah. And nobody knows. And she calls, she sends me a message on Instagram. We're talking through it. And she had the, um, just having that encouragement, she had the confidence you Know and that prayer over her to be able to start walking away from that. She's, I did, I broke up with my sugar daddy. I'm not talking to him anymore. I was like, Go, you all right now. We're getting a real job. Yes, we're getting a real job now. You're training, you're doing the thing. Good, but there's so much of this happening. It's in the church, and people don't realize it. It's people's family, mm-hmm. it's people's, you know, nieces and cousins and, and daughters, yeah. uh, sons too. I mean, there are male strippers too. Okay, yeah. let's be real with that. It's, um, so much struggle that we don't realize. Um, So yeah, there are people who might want this for ministry or even just for a loved one that they know is in that lifestyle. That could be very useful.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, Well, we will definitely uh, in the show notes, we'll include links to everything, especially your website, so that people know how to contact you and get more information um, about that resource and and just anything else that they may want to reach out to you for. And so we'll include all that in the show notes. Uh, For those that are listening, just make sure you check that out so you can connect with Monica and and learn more and hear more. And and is there anything else before we wrap up, anything else on your heart that you feel like you might
1: want to share? Um, I do want to say if you go on the website, there is a pop-up. Don't exit out. There's a really useful thing on there. It's just a mindset tool to get you looking at your identity, um, who you think you are and who you really are in Christ. Um, Something you can print out and there's a, a card you can cut off on the bottom of the last page to carry with you that I actually used to deal with some of my PTSD, but anyone can use it. And there's a brief overview on the first page about how to use it. So definitely like, put your email in there. I'm not gonna send you tons of emails, but you can get the tool um, and print that PDF out right away if you want to. Um, And then what I will do is keep you updated on the other things like the book that I'm working on. I'm still writing my story. I know it's been like three years, but eventually I'm gonna get it done. My year, my word for the year for 2020 is finished. That's what God gave me. So I think I'm gonna finish this book finally. (laughs) Uh, I am working on that with my whole testimony. Um, And I would say on top of that, um, beyond all the the logistics. Um, I just want to encourage people to seek Jesus, Mm -hmm. like seek, seek the father and how he reveals Jesus to you. Like that really is the answer to everything. We make things complicated. We have 500 million Bible studies for how do I do this? And how do I feel like this? And how do I deal with this? It's just Christ. It's just being in his presence and being close to him. And I know me, I will make everything complex. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, Oh God, help me. What do I do? I don't understand. And he's like, I don't want you to understand. I just want you to be with me. The understanding comes later. That's like a byproduct of being with me. Mm -hmm. The relationship is always first. It's not knowledge, you know, that's a benefit. Yeah. But together, he's like, you're my beloved, just be with me. And he yearns and longs to be with me. So real quick, um, I know we're closing out. I know I talk a lot. Um, which is probably why you got me on here. So when Peter was gone, I would miss him so much when he was in Afghanistan. And when it got really bad, the Lord just gave me this revelation of how he sees me. And He's like, you know how much you miss your husband. You know how that hurts? Like physically, that's how much I miss you. Mm. That's how much I want you. That's how much I stand there waiting for you to pay attention to me. I'm, getting emotional whoa so but it's that powerful and that beautiful like he really just wants our attention yeah and we don't give it to him like we could and it's an exchange Mm -hmm. he wants our attention because he wants to give us his attention and affection as well Mm. so yeah just that's kind of the final thought there that was on my heart
0: that's so good that's So good. And there's nothing else that we really need to say and except for thank you. Thank you for being so willing to share your story um, so openly and vulnerably and honestly with us. Um, Thank you just for for trusting us with that space in your life and and for sharing all of your wisdom. I mean, there were multiple points in here that I just know are going to be transformational for somebody that's listening. So for on behalf of everybody who's listening, I just want to say thank you so much. And uh, what a, what a beautiful thing it is to see what God has done in your life and where he's taken you. And this is, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the things that he's doing in and through you. And just the beginning of people who are going to have their lives radically transformed by the grace and goodness of God because of the ministry that you're stepping into. So just love you so, so, so much sister.
1: I love you too.
0: listening to the table leadership podcast be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest remember to subscribe to the table podcast and follow along on social media at the table leadership visit the table to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities and finally you can connect with me your host at cion or on social media at cion I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.